Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning and happy 4th of July to everybody. It's going to start out beautiful today. I know we have a chance of some storms. When you know the biggest chance of storms this week is today, but hopefully you won't get one that'll rain on your barbecue or your outing, your camping trip. A lot of people in the outdoors. People are getting out. The COVID thing has really made people turn towards the outdoors for recreation. You know, we have no youth sports going on to amount to anything. You can't really go to a movie or even hardly out to dinner. So, and no major league sports. So we're, we're seeing a lot of people in the outdoors and our goal is to help you safely enjoy the outdoors and understand how to have successful outings. We're going to cover a lot today. We're going to get some fishing reports from around the state. We're also going to talk later on in the second hour uh, there's been a, a, a an issue that has popped up in the angling community that has really uh, gotten a lot of attention. We're going to have Parks come on for a special segment at 10.15 and talk about the spearfishing uh, regulation changes that have been proposed. And then next week, we're actually going to get um, a proponent of the changes from the spearfishing community and an opponent to the changes from the traditional angling community to give both sides of that. And during today's interview with Parks and Wildlife, they're going to let you know where you can comment and where you stand on that. So we're going to start covering that second hour today. We're also going to start talking more and more hunting. A lot of new hunters are going out into the field this year, or a lot of people returning. They may have done some in their youth, but they've kind of gotten away from it. So we're going to start talking. We're going to talk big game hunting and small game hunting this hour in the second half kind of what resources are there to help you get started. So we're going to have a lot. But right now, let's go right to the phones. One of our favorite contributors, even if the fishing's bad, it's always a good time to talk to Bernie Keith, Fishing with Bernie. Good morning, Bernie. Morning, Terry. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing really well. Um, How about you? Happy 4th of July. Happy 4th of July. I am doing absolutely awesome. It's a gorgeous summer day up here. I'll bet. It should be beautiful up there because you're calling us from the Granby area. We're going to talk a little bit about the fishing up in the lakes in your area and what's going on. Uh, Before we do, Bernie, uh, one question I'm kind of starting to ask our contributors as they call in is, how are the water levels holding up? We're having a much drier year overall now, and we could snowpack could really be important going into this next winter. Are your water levels holding up fine? Well, we are all full. Everything we fish is full right now. That's awesome. Because if we can end the year with the, with the reservoirs in good shape, then we can get by with the average snowpack. So what is happening up there, Bernie? I mean, this, you know, you taught me a lesson. I, I fished Lake Granby and the lakes up there for years before you and I met. And I would fish in the fall during that hot numbers bite when they came into spawn. And I would fish in the early spring when the big fish were shallow, and then, of course, ice fishing. But I would ignore that lake during the summer, especially in July when it's hot. But you really showed me that you can just catch those lake trout year-round if you know what you're doing. So tell us about what's going on. I don't even think you need to know what you're doing. You just got to get lucky. That's always my game plan. 
Um, <laughs> Lake Granby, Grand Lake, and Williams Fork are all fishing good for lake trout right now. Um, my guys have been on Williams Fork catching some good fish with a lot of numbers. We've been doing that on Granby, and Grand Lake kicked out a couple of big fish lately. So they're all fishing really well. Um, the brown trout fishing got a little bit slower. The rainbow fishing's still pretty good. Um, it's real good in the evening. If you walk around the lake or drive around the lake with your binoculars and look for risers, you can go fish those, and you can do really, really well. Um, and then the pike fishing's starting to pick up at Williams Fork. We've hooked a couple of good pike out there now. So everything's fishing still. It's fishing really well. What uh, What are some of the techniques? If I'm heading up to Granby, um, if I want to fish lake trout from a boat, what are some of the techniques? What kind of depths are you having to fish? Yeah, I, we were talking about that last week. It was 40 to 80 feet, of, 35 to 80 feet of water, and anywhere in there. I fish the structure, not the depth. Um, and I just go around, look for fish. Once I find them, then I'll sit there and park on top of them. We'll drop tubes, tubes and sucker meat, some hair jigs. Um, I fish once in a blue moon, I'll fish a spoon, but I got some friends who are die-hide, die-hard food, spoon fanatics, and they catch their fish. So it's more about, instead of the, the lure, it's more about the presentation and making sure you're on fish. That's the most important thing. And Well, you're absolutely right. The best presentation and the best lure in the world doesn't do any good if the fish don't get to see it, right? But what, what what kind of a presentation? Is it a more aggressive, a more subtle presentation this time of the year? You know, it's pretty subtle. Um, but every once in a while, what was it, yesterday, we were snapping our tubes really hard to get bit. We tried that subtle stuff. It just wasn't flying. And then we started snapping our tubes really hard. And we started catching a lot more fish. It was turned out to be a real good morning. In three hours, I think we had 15 fish. So, um, now, are you catching? It was, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, was there any size to them? Uh, yesterday, no. No, I took two kids out, and we just wanted to catch as many fish as we could. But um, throughout the week, I've had, oh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I think I had five to eight large fish each day. Wow. And then Thursday, the big fish kind of, they moved on me, and I couldn't find them until later in the day. Then we got a couple, and then Friday was just a numbers day for us. But it's just really doing well. That sounds good. How about at um, at Williams Fork? What's the size of the fish there? You know, the, the fish in Williams Fork are still real big when you can get them to go. But you can go out there and get a huge numbers of 13 to 18-inch fish. So if you're looking for eaters, that's a great place to go. They're willing to eat. They're biting and um, catching numbers is not real difficult, and you get a meal out of the deal. Yeah, and you know, and that's what we've always – one of the things – you and I have always uh, preached selective harvest that, you know, a 30-inch lake trout or a 36- or 40-inch lake trout even takes decades to grow, and they don't taste as good. They're fun to catch, take a picture, put them – keep those genetics in the lake, uh, let somebody else catch them, but those – Maybe I, I like about 16 inches, 16, 18 inches. They're nice-sized fillets, and they don't have all that fat on them. That's really the best eating of lake trout, I think. Don't you? I have to agree with you. I have to agree with you. And how we select our eating group of fish is I wrote an article a while back. It's on my website. It's um, Selective Harvest, What to Keep and What to Let Go. 
And it gives you some links of the biologist surveys when they do the netting. And it'll show you where the biggest group, the size group is, like on Granby, that's like 15, 16 inches. So, you know, if you pick out of the biggest size group, you're just helping the lake stay healthy. Um, no, you're absolutely. That made sense. Not the... No, that makes a Hello? lot of sense oh. because what you're, you, I'm here. Are you there, Bernie? Yep, I got you. I got you. Uh, all right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Bernie, because, you know, that group is going to move on, and they're, you don't want to stunt them. You want them to not overeat the bait. And, you know, there's going to be a survival to get into the big fish. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with, in the right situation, harvesting some fish. Like, you get to uh, a put-and-take rainbow trout lake or a kokanee lake that's stocked and harvest some of those fish and enjoy them as table fare. But if you're in a, a pristine stream like you have the upper part of the Colorado River where you're at, you know, be very thoughtful about what you harvest there. What about, you mentioned the trout is pretty good. Is that kind of throughout the rainbows, throughout the area? Yeah, it really is. And the key is, you know, in the evening, I just, this is the way I go fishing in the evening. I drive around the lake and I'll, I'll look in the backs of the bays and everywhere and I, I won't start fishing until I find them rising in, on a point or in a, in a bay. And then I'll go down there with either my fly rod or a little cast master, and I'll wait for the fish to rise, and I'll cast to the rise. And they're never very big. You know, if you get a 15-incher, you got a massive one out of Granby. But it's so much fun to do the patience, and you got to cast real fast, and you got to be real accurate with your cast, and you get rewarded with a fish. What about some of the other lakes in the area? Is Grand Lake fishing okay, Shadow Mountain? Um, Grand Lake is fishing really well for lake trout. The browns have gotten tougher. The rainbows are still in the inlets. We don't fish shadow much because there's so many suckers in it. They keep the food the food beat down for the trout. that it just become, It's just a difficult fishery to get a decent fish out of. So we kind of stay out of that. And um, Williams Fork, like I said, it's fishing well also. And then uh, you've got um, a couple other lakes in the area. Uh, Wil- Wolford is one. How's that doing? Wolford, I heard that's doing very well. Willow Creek is doing well in the evening and mornings. Monarch is fishing really, really good early in the morning and in the night. And then I'm hearing good things about Meadow Creek, but I haven't heard a lot. But people are going down there and catching eight, ten fish in an evening, and it'll be a mix of rainbows, brookies, and um, tiger trout. Uh, you know, the tiger trout is becoming more popular. They've actually developed a broodstock for tiger trout that we may talk about later in the show, if not today, another show. And it's really worked out well. They're they're doing some recovery on them over on the West Slope and uh, and trying to just see how they fit into the mix. That's been a really – it's an interesting fish, isn't it? It really is. And they put them in these lakes to help the stunted brookie population. They're supposed to eat them. And they're hoping they get up to four or five pounds and the brookies get up to 12, 13 inches. So, you know, it's a really good way to manage fish and offer the fishermen a whole nother aggressive fish because they are aggressive. Hey, and speaking of uh, brookies and all that, the rivers up there, um, you have some pretty good river fishing. You have the Colorado, you have some tributaries. Have you been out on those or have you heard much about them? I haven't been out and I haven't heard much about them. But, you know, they are dropping, and typically when it drops right now, it's a fly fisherman's dream. The the water's still cold, the flows are dropping, the hatches are going on. So it should be absolutely phenomenal out there. Yeah, I, I fished that upper Colorado just below Granby um, 
Well, with um, with a bunch of the guys from In Fisherman once, we were down there, and we were fishing hopper droppers, and we would get a number of rainbows on our little dropper, but every now and then that nice-sized brown would come up and hit that hopper. Uh, it should be really getting into that time of the year for the hopper dropper fishing to really take off. I love fishing a hopper dropper because I'm a I'm not the best caster in the world when it comes to fly fishing. And if I plop that hopper down, that's how they hit the water anyway. I don't have to be so subtle. And I can see that big hopper drifting down there. So that's always a great way to fish. Any other uh, – any other? go ahead. I was going to say, my favorite way is go throw in streamers for the same reason. Oh, I like streamers too. That's that's great. They're really good up there. And, you know, streamers from shore, if the rainbows are close enough on the lake too, can be really good. Anything else going be. on up there? Anything else going on up there we should be aware of? You know, I think we just covered pretty much most of it, Terry. Um, I hope everybody has a, for, a, stay, a safe and healthy Fourth of July. How do people get a hold of you, Bernie? If they want more information, you're always a wealth of information. Or if they want to book a trip up there with you guys, there's my website, fishingwithbernie.com, Facebook, Instagram, fishing with Bernie. Terry, I just walked by, out to the road, and I got some clown sitting on the end of my property. <laughs> is that the picture you sent? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that really is a clown, isn't it? Is that that really is a clown? There's a guy out there sitting sitting on the property holding up a sign. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Bernie, you go ahead and take care of that. Bernie, you have a great Fourth of July, and uh, on. Uh, Hopefully you can spend some good time in the water and have a have a happy, safe fourth, Bernie. You also, Terry. Be safe. All right. Bernie Keith, he's always what a what a trip. I love Bernie. Love Bernie to death. Hey, you know, if you're interested to see the kind of fishing we talk about with Bernie, because it is one of my favorite fishing activities in Colorado up at Granby. Um, if you go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, there's one whole show dedicated to fishing with Bernie that takes you through the different seasons. And then we also have a show up there where we take you to Grand Lake and go after lake trout. So you might want to take a peek at those. Uh, they're on YouTube, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we are going to, uh, we're going to take you uh, over to the West Slope Ridgeway Reservoir, which presents some great fishing opportunities and uh, wait for you to Win some money fishing over there. All that and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, which is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. And by the way, Jack's uh, five locations for outdoor gear are open today. So if you need that last-minute fishing supplies, camping supplies, biking supplies, clothing, whatever outdoor gear you need as you're heading out today, you can stop at Jack's and get a great selection and a great deal. Tell them Terry told you to stop in. Let's go right to the phones now. And joining us from the Montrose area, he's a biologist over there, an aquatic biologist, Eric uh, Gardunio. Good morning, Eric. Morning, Terry. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thank you for coming on. Is it as beautiful a day over in the Montrose area as it is on the Front Range? Oh, yeah, it's nice this morning. It looks like it's going to get pretty hot this afternoon, though. Yeah, well, you got some great mountains and lakes and opportunities, both both high and low. People don't realize sometimes they think that you have some great 
lower elevation stuff over there too. Hey, we're going to talk quite a bit about Ridgeway and maybe some other fishing opportunities over there. But I understand you were out electrofishing on Ridgeway. What did you find when you were out there? Yeah, um, we were out there Wednesday and Thursday nights this week um, marking smallmouth bass for our upcoming uh, Ridgeway Reservoir smallmouth bass tournament. Um, and what we saw is that our it, it really looks like our efforts from the last five years of this tournament are starting to pay off. Um, we were seeing a lot fewer smallmouth in the lake, and it, it really seems like uh, we've started to um, put a dent in those larger fish, which is the overall goal of, of this tournament. And anything else unusual or interesting? Uh, you were concentrating on the smallmouth. Any other species jump out at you? Yeah, you know, one thing that's been really interesting to watch over the last several years at Ridgeway is the uh, brown trout population in there. There's some giant brown trout. We've seen numerous fish over 30 inches in the last several years. But the thing that's really unique and really cool at Ridgeway is those brown trout appear to be actually reproducing right in the reservoir instead of running up the creeks to spawn um and one of the things that we were seeing the other night that kind of um pointed to that was we were finding a whole bunch of about inch and a half long um brown trout fry in some of the shallow gravelly areas in the reservoir so it really looked like those fish were probably you know born in the lake and there's something unique about the brown trout fishery there at Ridgeway. They get really big, and uh, it's just interesting that we don't see them running up the creeks, but there's a good population of them in there. Well, it's famous for its brown trout. In fact, I, I forget the state record, but it's huge. Isn't it like 20-some pounds or something? Not the state, but the lake record is like 20-some pounds or something brown? Well, yeah, um, there was one. Um, I'm not sure what the official lake record is for an angler but a couple of years ago we were out there electro fishing and we caught one and the biggest scale that i had on the boat was a 20 pound scale and it it zeroed out that scale easily <laughs> i think it was 22 or 23 pounds it was a it was a really big fish that's an exciting fishery to go there and have the opportunity to catch those brown trout and it's a great fishery for a number of species and we'll talk a little more about some of the other species but one of the reasons it is a great fishery is it's managed properly, and smallmouth bass were illegally introduced there, and they kind of took off, and federal mandate has made you need to clean those smallmouth out because if they could get into the river system or at least keep the population to a manageable size, they get into the river systems, they could affect some of our endangered species fish. You guys used to do that through a number of means, and then you thought about five years ago, Let's have the anglers help us and have some fun. And that's when this tournament was born. Tell us about it this year and what's going on. Yeah, so this is the sixth year, which is incredible. The time sure has gone quick. But um, this year we're running the tournament starting uh, Saturday, July 11th, and ending Sunday, August 9th. And um, anglers can fish anytime they want to over that time frame and turn smallmouth bass into a drop box freezer that we're going to have uh, located near the fish cleaning station by the boat ramp at Ridgeway Reservoir. And so um, we have a number of prizes this year. Um, 
first off, we're giving cash prizes to the three anglers who turn in the most fish. So the angler that turns in the most fish will get a first place prize of $5,000. The second most place uh, individual will get $2,000. And then for third place, it's $1,000. Um, in addition to that, there's going to be a um, virtual raffle that we'll hold this year. And we're going to draw 11 winners out of that raffle. And so the, the top three anglers who catch the most fish won't be eligible for the raffle. Um, but everyone else who turns in a fish, for every fish they turn in, they'll get a, a drawing in the raffle. And so we'll have one raffle grand prize. It'll be worth $1,000. And then we're drawing 10 uh, what we're calling second tier prizes. It'll be worth a thousand or I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, a hundred dollars each. Um, so we're giving away a, a total of $10,000 uh, over the course of this thing. And, you know, the more fish you catch, the better your chances of winning. But even if you only catch one smallmouth bass and turn it in, you do have a chance of, you know, winning a thousand dollars in that raffle. Yeah. It's just an awesome way to get the anglers involved, let them have some fun and also, uh, help you guys get the job done and i think they've actually been more effective don't you it's it's honestly incredible um we estimated uh five years ago before we started the first tournament that there were about 3600 bass over six inches in the lake and following last year's tournament that estimate was down to about 740 so uh it was a 79 percent decline over five years um so these anglers have been effective i think people have enjoyed the tournament um and i think you know the overall point we want to make is unfortunately it's difficult for us to manage for smallmouth bass in this part of the state they can have some very dire consequences for the native fish in our rivers which were um you know responsible for managing as well and so we just are thankful for the anglers who've participated and and have been so effective in helping us uh limit the possibility of these fish getting into the gunnison and and colorado river basin well if people want <clears throat> people want more information on the tournament basically you go there catch smallmouth bass there's a station where you put them in a bag, mark them, and turn them in. You go into the drawing. They keep, you guys keep track of their fish. Where can they find more about it? Yeah, so the rules will be posted on our website. Um, I've also sent rules to folks can either call our Montrose uh, office or Ridgeway State Park and get a hold of the rules. Um, that drop box will have um, rules there and instructions on we'll have a form that anglers have to fill out to turn in their fish so there'll be instructions and all of the information should be available right there as well so either the website call our montrose office or um call the ridgeway state park office and they, now, they should be able to give you the information now we're running out of time but you and i talked earlier about a couple other fishing opportunities over in the west slope with all the people getting out fishing i want to touch on a couple of those and i i know brian is waiting to talk hunting i promise brian will get you and we'll spend lots of time but i want to touch on one is the grand mesa we had tiger trout come up in our first segment today and the uh, bernie keith was on he was talking about what a great opportunity they are for fish to people to catch 
a different species of fish. And you've actually created a pretty good tiger trout fishery up on the Grand Mesa, haven't you? Yeah, you know, we've we've stocked tiger trout in about a dozen lakes on the Grand Mesa. And what's been interesting about it is we haven't haven't been doing it in a haphazard fashion. We've been actually uh, doing it as part of a research project, trying to determine a, a couple of different things. First, how do we grow big tiger trout? How many fish do we need to stock per acre based on a certain type of lake or different types of lakes um, to really achieve maximum growth on these fish? And then secondly, tiger trout are a good management tool for us because they're aggressive predators. They like to eat other fish. And um, so we can use them in lakes on the Grand Mesa that have maybe ended up with suckers or fathead minnows or even stunted brook trout populations to try to exert some predation pressure on um, those undesirable species or in the case of brook trout, um, to reduce the number of brook trout so we can grow some bigger brook trout. And so over the last four years or so, we've been um, conducting an experiment on the Grand Mesa to really look at our stock rates and what types of situations we're putting these tiger trout into and and how the outcome of those management goals plays out. And in the process, we've got some really good tiger trout fisheries up there. And I don't really want to hot spot any of these things, but I sure encourage interested anglers to get up to the Grand Mesa and uh, burn some boot leather and, and try to find some of these fisheries because there's some really nice tiger trout on that mountain right now. Um, yeah, you're as well as, you probably... you know, every other species of trout you can think of. So it's, it's a fun spot to go explore and there's some great fisheries up there. And you're telling me there's fish over 20 inches. So, and some of those, yeah, that, right? There's some, there's some big ones. We've, we've seen some fish, you know, some four and five pound fish in some of those lakes and, um, they're really just starting to come on, um, at this point, a lot of them. So there's some good opportunities up there. Um, and what a cool place to just go explore. You know, there's well over a hundred lakes with fish up there. And so you never really know what you're going to run into and, uh, plenty of opportunity. So pretty neat. Yeah. You know, Eric, we are out of time. I know you wanted to talk about Crawford, which is a great bass fishery in Woods Lake. I might have to get you back on. you got so many great fishing opportunities there. But most of all, people, go out to Ridgeway and get in the contest and earn some money. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Sure appreciate it. All right. That's Eric, a biologist from over on the West Slope. We're going to take a timeout. We come back. Um we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk hunting for the next two or three segments, especially getting started hunting. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Happy 4th of July. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, the 104.3 The Fan this show is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, one of our newest partners. We're so excited to have them on board. They're open today. 
If you're looking for a, some gear or some supplies for fishing, kayaking, hiking, hunting, camping, even grilling, they can take care of you. So stop by one of their locations on the Front Range. Five locations if you count the one in Cheyenne. And they're, they're going to be moving to their new store in Loveland pretty soon, which is going to be a huge store where the old Kmart building used to be. Hey, let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Eric, I'm sorry, is Brian Posumas. And I think I just butchered your last name, Brian, but good morning. Good morning. Happy Fourth of July, Terry. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I caught, know, caught a little bit of your show this morning. I, now I'm excited to go fishing. Oh, well, good. That's great. Hey, um, <clears throat> we've got tons of people getting into the outdoors. It's been very obvious that we've got a huge increase in the number of anglers. I haven't pin that down but i think license sales are up like 30 percent so we're getting a lot of people that you know there's no youth sports and there's no not much for major league sports right now and people are looking for activities and they're going back to the outdoors which we love and one activity that's gotten a lot of interest a lot of people have applied for licenses and that's hunting and i want to talk to you about different forms of hunting and how people can participate. We're getting a lot of questions. Like I had one uh, gentleman, his 13-year-old son, he wants to get him into big game hunting. So first of all, how do I get started? What do I do if I want to start hunting this year? And Either I haven't hunted before or it's been quite some time. Yeah, you bet. We've got a lot of different opportunities at Keller Parks and Wildlife to get into hunting. The, the first place I'd recommend people try if they haven't completed their hunter education courses is to go onto our website. We've got a little search bar and just type in hunter education. Uh, right now, we have uh, a 100% online course. It's for students that are 11 years and older. So this is for, for youth and adults. So um, this only goes until July 31 when we'll probably go into our traditional um, process um, we do we have internet classes with a conclusion course as well but because of COVID-19 and health concerns we're offering this 100% online course right now but it it ends on July 31st so people gotta gotta get on board that if they want to get their hunter education card before they start applying for licenses. Right, and it, and you need you can't hunt in Colorado without a hunter education card. That's got to be the first step. Now, besides firearm safety, what do I learn in hunter education? Yeah, firearm safety is probably only maybe a, a fifth of the class. Um, there's there's a lot of information in those classes. From um, you know, we we talk about ethics. We'll talk about uh, outdoor survival. We talk a little bit about. Um, you know, of course, with different firearms, but, you know, muzzleloader, archery. Um, there, there is a lot of safety, but there's a lot of other information. There, there's a whole section in hunter education that talks about hunting and conservation, the history of, of hunters being the lead conservationists out there and how, how hunters that have, um, you know, through buying licenses and, and through using hunters to manage wildlife populations, we've actually brought a lot of wildlife species um, back from, from the brink of extinction. And, and a lot of that is from just generations of hunters that have been buying licenses, um, supporting the wildlife management and supporting wildlife habitat. No, so it's a, it's a great course. Not only is it necessary, but it's a great starting point. And I want to get to what some of the big game opportunities that are still available. But before I do that, if you're starting 
to get back into hunting. You also have a lot of classes and videos. There's just a ton of resources on Parks and Wildlife website. Tell me about some of those. Yeah, yeah. So I work in the hunter outreach department, and, and a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm reaching out to people after they've taken hunter education. But, you know, and pretty much anyone is, is interested in to join our programs. Um, some stuff that people can get into right now and start learning about big game hunting. We've got uh, YouTube playlists. We did um, seven um, Learn to Hunt webinars. we got five of them up right now on our CPW YouTube page. So if you go to our YouTube page, you can look at the Learn to Hunt webinars. And we, we talk a lot about getting started in big game hunting. There's also a really neat series out there. Uh, Crystal Egley's one of our videographers of CPW, super talented. But she, she shot a whole series, um, short snippets, called My First Big Game Hunt. And she goes through um, several different series and, and just, just talks about how do you get into big game hunting, a lot of the thoughts, the preparation, the hunt, the post-hunt, the processing. She talks about ethics. It's really a good series. If someone is thinking about getting into hunting, it's a good series to, to watch. And it, it goes through a lot of the – the, the, it answers a lot of questions that a lot of hunters have, um, you know, getting started. We also have a couple other programs as well. Um, starting last year, we, we have what's called a Take a Friend Hunting Program. There's information on the back page of the Big Game brochure um, and, and a website linked to it. But we'll start that up here when the season starts. But this is basically a program where if someone's interested in hunting, they don't have a whole lot of experience, but they know of someone um, who could be their mentor, the mentor and the, the novice hunter can actually um, send in some information. We've got a little Google form that they could send in info, send photos in, and they can be entered into um, a drawing for some prizes. And uh, last year we had Yeti coolers. We had um, gift certificates to some of the hunting and, and fishing stores. We had um, range finders and binoculars. We had all sorts of great gear for hunters. And so this is our encouragement for existing hunters to um, be willing to take a new hunter out or a new hunter that just wants to encourage maybe an existing hunter to be their mentor in the season. Now, the big game draw is over with. That happened earlier, and so people know if they drew or not. But if I didn't draw or if I didn't even know about it, I wasn't ready, what opportunities are there still left for me to go big game hunting in Colorado? Yeah, great question. We've got four opportunities to get big game licenses yet this year. So the primary draw, you're, you're correct, it is over and done, but we have um, something new this year called the secondary draw. But hunters, um, potential hunters, you got to get, um, you got to apply by next week, Tuesday, 8 p.m. So July 7 is the deadline for the secondary draw. These are all the limited licenses for elk, deer, pronghorn, and bear that did not get drawn out in the primary draw. So there's a lot of licenses that are still out there. There's a website, um, you know, that on our big game page, there's, there's a link to it that tells you how to apply, to, shows you all the, the licenses that are available, how many are available, so that it, it's the same draw process as the, the primary draw, only we're not using preference points. Um, for youth, this is a really good opportunity. If you've got youth that want to get into big game hunting, um, in this secondary draw, 
the youth get the first preference. So any of the tags that are out there, they're going to first draw any of the youth applicants that have, have applied. So they get first opportunities at, at these limited licenses. So I encourage um, youth or parents that want to get their youth involved. This is a good opportunity to, to get some limited licenses for their, their kids and get them out. Um, on August 4, this will be the next opportunity. Any licenses not drawn out through the secondary draw will be available first come, first serve on August 4 through the leftover um, process or leftover day. So at 9 a.m. on August 4, everyone's going to compete for whatever leftover licenses are available. Um, if, if there's some hunters that are listening and you usually are waiting for leftover day, to get your licenses, I encourage you to put in for the secondary draw just to make sure that they don't get drawn out. I suspect with the secondary draw this year, there will not be quite as many leftover licenses available on leftover day. So um, those licenses that you usually get on leftover day apply through the secondary draw. The third option that people have available is August 6th. The over-the-counter licenses are available. There's several game management units across Colorado that allow um, it's unlimited licenses. There's going to be a lot of hunters out in the fields, um, but there, there's some archery options and there's also um, bull rifle options. So antlered bull, um, elk. Um, that's secondary draw, or se I'm sorry, second rifle season or third rifle season. So hunters can get those licenses and go hunt. We don't run out of those licenses. Um, and then finally, the last opportunity to get them, August 11, we have what's called the reissue license process. And basically what that means is when a hunter um, draws a tag, turns out they can't go for some reason, they can turn it back in prior to the season, 30 days prior to the season. This license gets thrown into the leftover list. Basically, it's randomly. So if, you're, um, if, if you maybe bookmark the leftover list, um, starting August 11, and you just jump into that from time to time. You can look for some licenses, some some sometimes really good licenses that are limited licenses that get thrown back into the pool of leftover licenses. A lot of opportunities right. to get big big game tags yet this year. And there's lots of resources. There's harvest information. There's topographical information on the website. Spend a lot of time. Later in the next first part of next hour, I'm going to talk to Nate Zielinski, and we're probably going to talk about getting started scouting. We don't have time to get in depth in that. But I want to touch on small game. And, uh, Brian, if I can put you on hold real quick, when I come back, let's talk about some small game opportunities. Is that okay? You got it. All right, we'll take a quick time out on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, and we'll come back and we will talk small game hunting on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, serving the outdoor public for 65 years. Let's go right back to the phones. And we're talking to Brian from uh, Parks and Wildlife about hunting opportunities. Brian, we talked quite a bit. We only have a few minutes left, but I want to touch on this. And that's the fact that there's going to be people who don't want to start big game hunting. What are the small game opportunities in Colorado? Boy, there's a ton of small game opportunities in Colorado. Uh, a lot of people just, just aren't even aware of it. But we, we actually have some great pheasant habitat um, in eastern Colorado, especially northeast Colorado, but there's been a lot of habitat work by pheasants forever. 
um, some of the, the biologists that are out there, the, the um, district wildlife managers. There's a lot of people working together in partnerships um, way on the eastern plains. And, and we've, got, we've got a lot of opportunities. We've got um, walk-in access properties for people to use um, stretched all, all across the eastern plains. And it, it, it's great opportunity to go hunt pheasants. We've got rabbits. We've got squirrel hunting. Um, up, we, we've got some squirrels that might be, you know, along the, the riparian zones or river corridors out east. But we also have squirrels that are up in the up in the hills. Squirrels and rabbits up in the hills. There's dusky grouse. Um, even marmots are considered small game species. There's um, ptarmigan. There, there's all sorts of small game hunting opportunities that are out there. And I like to encourage new hunters to try the small game opportunity. The the harvest are oftentimes, um, you know, a lot higher harvest rates than what you might find big game hunting. I know I've been out big game hunting and I've been skunked quite a few times, but you can get out and do some small game hunting. And oftentimes the harvests are a lot, a lot greater. You still get to learn a lot of outdoor skills, um, a lot of, um, you know, rifle skills or shotgun skills. You get to learn woodsmanship skills going out into the hills. And a lot of that stuff translates to get you into the big game hunting program as well. So I do encourage people to get out and try small game hunting if they're interested in hunting. And, and maybe you do that for a year or two, and then you start tackling the big game species. Now, obviously, you still need a hunter safety card to small game hunt. You also need something called a, a HIP number. What's that? Yeah, that's our harvest information program. <laughs> So when you get your small game license, you need to get this HIP number. It's just a nine-digit number. There's um, there's a link on our website, um, or or you can go to a website that's that's colohip c o l o hip dot com, and you can um, you, you answer several questions about you know small game species. There's, these are species that we just don't have a ton of information we're trying to get interest on have you hunted these in the past are you interested in hunting them again when you get through the end of the end of the whole series you get a nine digit number and you just write that right on your small game license you have to do that before you get out into the field to hunt hunt small game takes less than five minutes to complete well and i want to get circled back to something else you mentioned that's the walk-in access a lot of places around the country the only way you can hunt upland game pheasants and quail and even small game in a lot of places is to hire a guide or approach a farmer and ask for permission or uh, lease some land yourself in colorado the walk-in access program has been expanding and that is posted land that's posted available for hunting you get an atlas and it really makes it so you don't have to stop and get permission as long as you understand the rules tell us a little more about that and how do you take advantage of it yeah, yeah, that, that's great. We have two brochures that we publish every year. The first one to come out is going to be the, the walk-in atlas, and this is going to be primarily for doves and some of the other um, early small game seasons that open up in September. So th- this walk-in um, atlas, this is going to come out uh, late August, kind of get people prepped for the, the, the early seasons. Now, there's another brochure that comes out that's called the Late Cropland Walk-In um, Atlas. And this is going to be um, additional properties that, you know, we're basically leasing these properties from farmers, from ranchers. And they are still working their properties during the early seasons. But when pheasant season starts up, we open up a lot of additional properties. Primarily, it's going to be pheasant habitat, but there's still some 
some other small game species you can hunt on these properties as well. So I encourage people to get both of these these walk-in access brochures. They're set up county by county, and it, there's maps in there that show you the the crossroads, the county roads that are in there, the highways, how to get to them. So basically, it, it's pretty easy. As long as you can read a map, it's pretty easy to figure out how to get to these properties. You can just park right alongside the road on these properties, pull off so you're not blocking any any farmers that are still um, working out there. But you can, you can jump into these properties. Um, they have signs up. Um, that indicate that they're, you know, CPW walk-in access properties as well, and you can hunt these properties. They're they're really well used the first couple weeks of the pheasant season. So the second Saturday of November is opening day for pheasant season. So a lot of hunters will be getting out the first couple of weekends, but the season goes through the end of January. So there's a lot of opportunities to go hunt pheasants, go hunt rabbits out there, um, to get out into these these fields. I tell you what, we are out of time, but I want people to know that we're going to cover more and more hunting over the next few weeks, along with always covering fishing, camping, and everything, because I think we're going to get a lot of new participants. I think the the, the takeaway for this, Brian, is there is so much information on Parks and Wildlife website. Get there and do some research. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Terry. Happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of July. Um, you know, this segment was brought to us by Jack's Outdoors, a great place to go and start getting your hunting supplies. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, Nate Selinski is going to join us, and we are going to talk, we're going to talk about uh, more hunting. We're going to get some ideas about what you should be doing right now, especially if you're a new hunter. And then uh, in the second part of that hour, we're going to be joined by Parks and Wildlife to talk about the spearfishing, uh, spearfishing uh, issue that is been uh, on fire across the state. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan.